0: Luke twenty, verse twenty-seven, this is the word of the Lord. There came to him from I'm sorry, there came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife, but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children, and the second And the third took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage for they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead but of the living for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any question. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, now we thank you for the privilege we have of gathering together here in this room to hear your word proclaimed. Lord, we know that in many places of the world, this kind of thing is illegal. And those who would gather together for a meeting like this are threatened with arrest or worse. So, Father, help us to be grateful for this privilege we have, but also, Father, to understand the power of your word and how it threatens those in power throughout this world. May we take your word seriously. May we know these are the words of eternal life. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Well, the invasion of Ukraine by Russia has dominated the news this week and for good reason. I read a few stories uh, interviewing pastors and missionaries who are there in the country seeking to care for their churches as well as their neighbors during this crisis. Uh, hundreds of soldiers and civilians have already been killed. And so no one over there is is thinking about What's on their calendars for tomorrow? Right now, no one is concerned about which college their children might be able to attend in the fall and if they'll have enough saved up in order to afford to send their children to school. No one over there is making plans for where they will go on vacation this summer or when they might be able to return or retire. But what almost everyone in those cities is thinking about right now is what, if anything, is there beyond this life? Is there life after death? And how can I know, how can I be assured of what comes next? Well, For our Christian brothers and sisters in Ukraine right now, the doctrine of the resurrection might be one of the most precious doctrines that they are hanging on to in these hours. You and I might neglect to think that much at all about the resurrection, but when war comes, or when cancer comes, or when death abruptly and rudely pushes its way into our lives, our trust in Christ and in what he has promised us for what will come beyond the grave is what will strengthen us with hope to help us to endure those days. So this morning, let's all come close. Let's all turn our ears towards the Lord Jesus once again and listen and be comforted by what he teaches us regarding what is to come. So our main theme from this text this morning is the biblical doctrine of the resurrection is not to be scorned but is meant to strengthen us with hope. So we come uh, to Jesus once again. He's in Jerusalem. He's teaching at the temple. In the days just prior to his betrayal and his crucifixion, we've been told that the scribes and the Pharisees were seeking a way to capture Jesus and ultimately to have him condemned, we also know that Jesus has foretold that he will be delivered up into the hands of the Romans who will crucify him, but that after three days, he would rise again. That's right. A key part of Jesus' teaching has been that there will be a resurrection, that he will be raised up from the dead. The scribes and the Pharisees have sent spies, we've been told, who have pretended to be sincere in order to ask questions of Jesus, to try to catch to him in something that he says, something that will get him uh, in trouble um, with the, the Romans, but their strategy has failed thus far. Uh, now we have a different group of religious leaders here. We have the Sadducees who are bringing a question to Jesus and it seems like they weren't just trying to get Jesus in trouble with the Romans, but they were definitely trying to make him and his teaching look foolish. Look foolish to the people that were listening to him there in the temple. So they questioned Jesus about the biblical teaching on the resurrection of the dead and Luke has recorded both their question and Jesus' response The gospel writers all believed that this was a very important teaching to preserve as Matthew and Mark also include this interaction with the Sadducees uh, in their books. Uh, But here in Luke's version, he focuses on three key lessons that we're going to be looking at this morning in this message. The first is that the biblical doctrine of the resurrection is scorned by some who claim to know God. The second lesson we'll see is, is... that we must not assume, the resurrection life will be no different than life in this fallen world. And third, Jesus affirmed and proved that God will raise the dead to eternal life. So, first lesson here in verses twenty-three, sorry, twenty-seven through thirty-three. The biblical doctrine of the resurrection is scorned by some who claim to know God. So look at that first paragraph there. Uh, Luke here introduces us to the Sadducees and this is the one only time that the Sadducees appear in Luke's gospel and the one main thing that Luke wants us to know about them is their skepticism. Okay, see that in verse 27. They are those who deny that there is a resurrection. So there are a group of Religious leaders, priests, and teachers who not only denied that there could be a resurrection, but they also did not accept that there could be a spiritual existence after death. Uh, They didn't believe in demons or angels. They didn't believe in an ongoing existence for God's people after death. You could say that they were rationalists. Uh, they mainly only held to the first five books of the Hebrew Scriptures as authoritative, that is, the books of Moses. Uh, they did not believe that any of the other Scriptures were God's Word. And there are many such skeptics throughout church history and even today who claim that they know God, but yet reject or openly question the Scriptures as having any authority or even any reliability. Reliability. So what the the Sadducees do here is provide a scenario which they believe would pose a great problem for anyone who holds to faith in a resurrection for the people of God. Uh, The great uh, J.C. Ryle, in his study uh, on this passage, says that uh, a supposed case or a scenario is a favorite weapon of skeptics. And we see that uh, the Sadducees take up this weapon, this favorite weapon here, in this supposed case, this scenario, which is based off of the teaching of the law found in Deuteronomy 25, 5 and 6, which says this, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, that is, has no heir, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother, that'd be her brother-in-law, shall take her as his wife, and the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out from Israel. So the the, the son then that's born uh, to the brother-in-law and the wife would then carry on the family name and, of course, grow to provide protection and financial support for Israel. His mother. So this was known as uh leveret marriage uh, from the, the, the Latin word lever, which means brother-in-law, so it's brother-in-law marriage, marriage to your brother-in-law. Uh, the Sadducees then take this practice that was commanded in the law and dream up this absurd example of one poor woman who marries into a family of seven brothers. Uh, her husband dies. And so she is then married to each of the other six brothers in turn as they all die without producing an heir, and then finally the woman also dies. So each of the the seven brothers has a claim on her as their wife, but, but one's claim on her is not any stronger than any of the others. That's the scenario. That's the proposed case. So, Jesus, they say, whose wife should she be at the resurrection, since they all had her as wife? Well, I think their scenario would raise far more questions than just whose wife the woman would be in the resurrection. I mean, what about how in the world do seven brothers all marry in succession after being married, or I'm sorry, all die in succession after being married to the same woman? I mean, who was this woman? Wouldn't the third brother question this a little bit, and then the fourth, and, and, and then all, on and on you go. I mean, they, they got to be wondering here. Hmm, what's happening? What's happening after the wedding? Um, so it just sounds a little little suspicious. That, that I think that would probably raise raise more questions than the problem of what's happening at the resurrection. Um, So it does sound a little absurd. But of course, that's the point. It's supposed to sound absurd. The Sadducees are using this absurd scenario to make the point of how ridiculous the whole idea of the resurrection is. For if the resurrection was how they imagined that it would be, we don't have to have a woman with seven husbands. I mean, just, just even having a woman that's married again after her first husband dies, well, that would be a little strange at the resurrection, wouldn't it? I mean, let's think about it. I'm older than my wife by a couple of years. And uh, I have a chronic health condition. So more than likely, I'll go first. Now imagine, after I'm gone, Greta meets another Christian man who is unattached, maybe a widower himself, and they get married and they enjoy as many or more years together than she had with me. So um, imagine us now at the resurrection. Imagine my excitement and joy at finally getting to see my wife again And then, of course, imagine Greta having to introduce me to the man who took my place. The man who who took care of her. The man who got to play with my grandchildren and see them grow up. The man who took her on vacations, on cruise ships. I, 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 I always kid her that, that if she ever wants to go on a cruise, it'll have to be with her second husband. <laughs> After I'm long dead and buried, she can enjoy a cruise with her other, other husband. But, but, but that's the scenario, right? That's the scenario. Wouldn't that be strange, Jesus? Wouldn't that be odd? Doesn't that scenario make the resurrection kind of seem absurd? Whose wife will she be? Who has a claim on her? Who gets to be with her? Well, what they were doing was, was not just casting doubt on the resurrection, but but scorning it, making it sound foolish, making it sound unbelievable, mocking anyone who would believe in such nonsense. And we have similar rationalists today who claim the name of Christian, and unfortunately, many of them teach in Christian schools of higher education. They, they may not outright deny the resurrection, but they deny that the Bible is a reliable guide to knowing the truth. They deny the inerrancy of the Scriptures. Some think it is ridiculous and scorn anyone who holds to a belief that the Bible is a reliable and authoritative guide for believers. They cast doubt on some of what the Bible teaches, and and when that happens, it ends up casting doubt on all of what the Bible teaches. If you deny that we can really trust what the Scriptures teach, well, then you can't have any assurance in the promises that God makes to his people in his word. And if you can't hope in God's promises, then what are you hoping in? As Paul wrote to the Corinthians, if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So our hope for forgiveness and eternal life are gone. They're gone if the Bible cannot be trusted in what it promises. So we must beware of the presence and influence of such leaders who scorn the Bible's reliability and prepare ourselves and prepare our children to be able to respond in faith to such challenges uh, today in our culture. Now, secondly, in verses 34 through 36, we see that we must not assume the resurrection life will be no different than life in this fallen world. Let me read those verses, 34 through 36 here. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore, because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. So that is the error of the Sadducees, uh, assuming that the resurrection life will be no different than life in this fallen world. Um, Jesus points out here initially in his response, uh, they were assuming that the life after the resurrection would really... Not be all that much different from the way that life is now in this fallen world. They were imagining that things would pretty much just go on as they always have, with the exception that the resurrection—you know—in the in the resurrection that you wouldn't, I guess, have to worry about dying again. Um, so, you know, implications of that would then mean, you know, sorry, sorry for you folks who had to endure a frustrating and difficult marriage in this life, for you're going to have to be married to that same person for all, all, all of eternity. Oh, of course, and that mother-in-law you had to put up with. Yep, she'll be there too. You'll get to put up with her for all of eternity. So enjoy the resurrection. Enjoy eternal life under those conditions. No, no, Jesus points out that, that their caricature of the resurrection was... Wrong, it was mistaken. He shows that life in the age to come will in fact be much different than life in this age. He says that relationships will be transformed as well as those who will be blessed to receive eternal life in the age to come. He says, unlike life in this age, there will be no marriage in the age to come for, he says, that for meaning because, They cannot die anymore, which seems to point to to there not being a need for procreation. The number of God's people will be completely filled. There will no longer be a need for marriage. So as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7, there is no problem with a widow or widower marrying another after their spouse dies in this age, as long as it's to another believer. They're not going to create any problems at the resurrection. Now I know that the statement from Jesus about no marriage in the age to come may disappoint some of you for marriage can be wonderful. And some can't imagine heaven being all that great if you can't be married to your dear one. But we are not to think that this means um, what the Lord has planned for us will be a disappointment. Surely... The happiness and love of close relationships in heaven will be more rather than less than it is here on earth because heaven will be a place of perfect joy. The fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. For we will be with the Lord and we will be completely righteous. He will cleanse us of all of our sin and completely renew our hearts so that we will no longer fall back into the, the old habits, the, 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 old, the old sinful nature, the, the sins of pride, the sin of selfishness and bitterness that seem to plague every one of our relationships here in this life, even the best ones. Life will be vastly different, but immeasurably greater in the world to come. The world that our Lord himself said he is preparing for us. Now in in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul contrasts life in the resurrection to life in this age. And he says there that the difference between the two is like the difference between a tiny seed And the plant or the tree that that tiny seed grows up into after it's been buried. Um, How similar is a seed to what it becomes? Well, that's a little of the difference between our lives now and the resurrection life that is coming. He writes, referring to our bodies that wear out and die and are buried in the ground like seeds, he says, what is sown... In the ground is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, that is, it is tainted with sin, these bodies of ours. And it's raised in glory, that is completely without sin, righteous. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It is sown, it's buried, a natural body. It's raised up by spiritual body. Verses 42 through 44 of 1 Corinthians 15. So Jesus says, those who will be a part of the resurrection will be equal to angels here. This does not mean that believers will become angels after they die, like you know we hear so many um, people talk about um, those who assume that they know more about what happens in the afterlife than Jesus does, that they become angels. Uh, It means, rather, those who are blessed to be raised to eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth will be like the angels in that their resurrected bodies will be sufficiently fitted for serving the Lord in the new world. They'll be imperishable. They'll be glorious. They'll be sinless. They'll be immensely powerful. They'll be perfectly suited spiritual bodies. They'll be able to see and to stand in the presence of the astonishingly blazing supreme glory of the living God without being incinerated. We will not have similar limitations like we do in this life with these weak bodies tainted with sin. We will be like the angels, only, only far better, for we will be sons of God, it says, sons of the resurrection. So we must not assume that resurrection life will be just the same as life in this fallen world. It will be far greater, far better than we can imagine, like an acorn compared to an oak tree. Now, Jesus also corrects another assumption that the Sadducees and many others in our day also have about the resurrection. That assumption is that everyone will be a part of it within the Jewish nation or within the church. Jesus responds with, actually, it will be only those, verse 35, who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection of the dead. Jesus is saying here that not everyone who is a descendant of, of Israel will receive eternal life. And also for us, not everyone who has some connection to a church or who calls themselves a Christian will have, will attain eternal life. Only those, he says, who are considered worthy. So who are those who will be considered worthy? Well, that's a very important question one of the most important questions you will ever have to answer. And Jesus is going to help us by revealing the answer in part in the next section here, verses 37 through 40. So this next section, this last section, Jesus affirmed and proved that God will raise the dead to eternal life. Let's read that 37 through 40. But, but that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dare to ask him any question. So as I mentioned earlier, the Sadducees really only accepted the first five books of the Hebrew Scriptures as being authoritative, the books of Moses. Uh, Therefore, since the doctrine of the resurrection was more fully developed in the other books of uh, the Old Testament, they rejected that doctrine. But Jesus goes back to the book of Exodus, a book that they would have known well and followed, a book of Moses. And he points to the passage about the bush. Of course, they didn't, they didn't have Exodus divided up into the helpful chapters and verses like we have. Otherwise, Jesus would have said, you know, chapter three, uh, go, go to Exodus chapter three and look there. And he says, it's it's the passage about the bush which they all would have known exactly what he was talking about, where God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush, identifying himself to Moses as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That's Exodus 3, verse 6. So Jesus is interpreting that verse for us. I love it when this happens. in the the New Testament. When you you can see Jesus or one of the apostles interpreting a passage from the Old Testament, then you know, this is it. That's the right interpretation. There's no questioning this. Jesus interprets that verse for us. Now, we may have thought that that God was, was just saying, I am the same God that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew and worshiped while they walked the earth, while they were still alive. But no, Jesus is saying here that we are to interpret that verse as the Lord saying, I am, present tense. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. He was talking to Moses over 400 years after they had all died. And God was saying that they had to still exist. They were still living since he didn't say, I was the God of Abraham." Isaac and Jacob. I am. Dead people can't have a relationship with God. They can't have a relationship with anybody. So they must still be alive. They must still live in some sense. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Therefore, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are living and they are awaiting the resurrection. So the scriptures affirm the doctrine of the resurrection, and Jesus here affirms the doctrine of the resurrection himself, saying in verse 37, the dead are raised. The dead are raised. And finally, Jesus also proved the doctrine of the resurrection himself. He proved it himself. For within just a few days of this encounter that he has with the Sadducees, Jesus himself was raised from the dead by God following his sacrificial death and burial. Jesus was raised from the dead. As God's word testifies in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-5, for I delivered to you as a first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to The twelve, then Paul goes on to to describe all those who the risen Christ appeared before. We can know, we can be assured that there will be a resurrection because Christ has been raised. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, that is, those who have died in him, will also raise, be, be raised from the dead. So our hope for the resurrection lies completely in Christ, that He lived, that he died, that he rose again from the dead. But the resurrection to eternal life in the new world will not be for everyone. For Again, as the Lord had said in verse 35, it'll be only for those considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead. Not everyone will be considered worthy. Not everyone will just automatically be granted eternal life in heaven in the presence of the Lord who will be um, considered worthy to be in his presence, to be with him forever. So who will be considered worthy? And will I be considered worthy? Will you be considered worthy? Again, Jesus gives us an answer in verses 37 through 38. There he points to Abraham Isaac and Jacob, as those who are still living, as those who await the resurrection. Those who will be a part of the age to come with God. These are the fathers of the people of faith. These are the ones whom God, out of his sovereign mercy, chose, elected to be his people. These are the men whom God graciously gave his covenant promises to And these men each believed and put their hope in God's promise. If we would read what Moses wrote about their lives in Genesis, we would all quickly realize that these men were not righteous in all their obedience to God. They were selfish men. They were prideful men. They were violent men. They were sinful men. But they were those whom God chose to receive His grace. And they were made righteous, it says, through their faith in God's promises. We see that most clearly in Genesis 15, verse 6, where it says that Abraham believed the Lord, believed Yahweh, that is, believed what Yahweh had promised, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. The Lord made Abraham righteous through his faith in God's promises. So to be considered worthy of eternal life and the resurrection, you must be considered righteous. And the only way for sinners to be considered righteous is to fully trust in God's promise that his son lived, died, and was raised for you for your righteousness before God. To believe that Christ took your place, that He is your life, that He is your righteousness. So, is that what you believe? Have you put your hope and your faith in what God has said about Christ? Is that where your hope is found? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor during the years of World War II and uh, was imprisoned by the Nazis and was executed by them in April 1945, just days before the Allies arrived to liberate the concentration camp in which he was being held. He was imprisoned because of his connection to a group of conspirators within the German military who attempted an attack on Hitler, Uh, The attack failed, and Hitler survived. And the next day after that happened, Bonhoeffer writes a letter to his friend about it, and he says in response to that news, he says, Jesus is alive, therefore I have hope. Jesus is alive, therefore I have hope. When he wrote that letter, Bonhoeffer knew that it was just a matter of time before he'd be found out, he'd be tracked down, he'd be captured and executed for being associated with the men who tried to take down Hitler. And in that moment, realizing that, he had hope because of the resurrection of Jesus and the promise of the resurrection for all those who have faith. In Jesus. Jesus is alive. Therefore, I have hope. If you have put your hope in Jesus, if you follow him, then you can be confident that just like God did not abandon Jesus in the grave, but raised him up to eternal life, so he will not abandon you in the grave, but will raise you up to eternal life. The Apostle Paul used the image, again, of that dead seed being buried in the ground, but then comes forth out of the ground in new life, transformed into a far better creation. Therefore, every spring, what do we do? We, we bury our seeds in our gardens and in our fields in hope. We bury them in hope. In hope that they will rise up out of the dirt into new transformed life. Just like when we Christians bury our dead into the ground, we bury those seeds in hope that they will one day be raised up into new transformed life, more alive than they ever were before, imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritual bodies. Jesus is alive. Therefore, I have hope. Our brothers and sisters in Ukraine are looking to that hope today. How about you? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before you this morning humbled by the amazing reality of the resurrection. That is our hope. Because of what Christ has accomplished, because you raised him from the dead, we have the hope of the resurrection strengthening us, comforting us, helping us to continue to be faithful to you in the remaining days that we have in this world, looking forward to the life that is to come us i pray you would help us and help our brothers and sisters in the ukraine today have that hope comforting them and strengthening them through this crisis we lift these up in the name of jesus christ our lord amen let's stand together praise god together as we close our service Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.